If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. This morning, we are gathering together and we are linking arms literally with millions upon millions of Christians across this world. We're linking arms with countless churches who are gathering together today to worship our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're here that we might tremble at Christ, his person, his work, what he's done upon the cross and what he's done in rising from the dead, conquering the grave, for the grave could not hold him down. I've been listening to the song, uh, uh, Up From the Grave He Arose, and uh, up from the grave he arose and uh, Christ the Lord is risen today over and over again on repeat this week. We actually sang Christ the Lord is risen today uh, just a bit ago. And uh, these songs are so beautiful and they wonderfully capture the proper heart response and posture to the resurrection, that thing that we gather together to celebrate today. And over and over again, that, that ref- the The heart posture is reflected in the refrain, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the the proper heart response to this. And that's why we gather today so that we might more and more cultivate a heart that cries hallelujah for our Savior has conquered the grave. Today, we're going to seek to develop that kind of heart. And we're going to seek to do that by working our way through this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. And as we do so, I'm hopeful that we will be filled with joy as we recognize the consequences of Christ being raised from the dead for us today and for all time. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of those uh, remarkable passages that, that deals with the resurrection explicitly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 poses uh, a problem, uh, a brewing controversy is occurring in the Corinthian church. And Paul uses this opportunity to come in and speak to that controversy and in doing so unpack the, the, the resurrection, pull the curtains back on the profound significance of the resurrection. And what he shows us is, is that the resurrection changes everything. It has present consequences. It has future consequences And so we want to look at those today. We'll have two points as we work through this passage. First, we're going to see that the resurrection is powerfully present. It's powerfully present. In other words, the resurrection, because Christ raised from the dead, we have a promise of a present spiritual resurrection from the dead. The resurrection changes everything today. How we live our lives today. And second, we will see that the resurrection is gloriously future. Gloriously future. In other words, the resurrection promises that there is a coming day where we will be raised bodily. The resurrection changes everything now and for all time. That's where we're going to be today, considering the resurrection, its glory, its implications, what it means for us today, what it means for us for all time. So once again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll see this first point. The resurrection is powerfully present if we look at uh, starting in verse 12. So please read with me. Now, 
if Christ is proclaimed, or uh, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is the controversy, the controversy that is spurring along 1 Corinthians 15. Will the believers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, will they be raised bodily or not? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of a people most to be pitied. In these verses, Paul uses this controversy. He uses this controversy that's brewing in Corinth to lay out the consequences of, it, of the reality or of uh, the, tr- the, the idea of Christ not being raised from the dead. If Christ really hasn't been raised from the dead, then the consequences are profound. Suffice it to say, if, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we have no hope. There is no hope for a future. We can see a, a sort of summary, a summary verse of this passage found in verse 19. Verse 19 says that if Jesus' resurrection didn't actually happen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are a people most to be pitied. We're a people most to be pitied. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then people should pity us. They should feel sorry for us. They should look at us with sorrow. In the South, whenever we have pity for people, we say, bless their hearts. People should look at us, if Christ isn't really raised from the dead, they should look at us and say, bless their hearts. Why? Verse 14 tells us that if the resurrection didn't happen, then Paul's preaching, the apostles' preaching, my preaching here today, your preaching in your families, with your children, in your workplace, any sort of proclamation of the gospel that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and we have life in him, and we are reconciled to the Father, any of that is in vain if Christ isn't raised from the dead. It's pointless. Why? As verse 15 says, the resurrection, if the resurrection didn't happen, then the proclamation of Paul, the proclamation of apostles, the proclamation of me and of you, it is a lie. It's a lie. What I'm doing here today, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, I'm misrepresenting God. And I am committing blasphemy, as are you if you ever proclaim Christ. Blasphemy. And therefore, if, if this proclamation isn't true, if it's actually a lie, if it's misrepresenting God, then our faith too is in vain. Our faith is a lie. It's built on nothing. It's built on shifting sand. And here's the worst part. If all this is true, if the consequences of this is, uh, if, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, if our preaching is in vain, if our faith is in vain, then we are still in our sin. 
We are still in our sin. That's the problem. That is the problem. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then Christians are a people to be most pitied. We are still characterized by our sin. The penalty of sin, death, eternal death, eternal separation from God is still for us. We still sit under the very real and very personal just wrath of God. That's for us if Christ isn't raised from the dead. If Christ isn't raised from the dead. Verse 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But Christ, I'm convinced that these are the best words in the Bible. But Christ, or some variation of that, but Christ, but God. We see, this, see, these, see these happen over and over again in the scriptures, and they're almost always followed by some beautiful and mo- uh, monumental gospel truth. But Christ, without the resurrection, we are dead in our sin. We have no hope for a future, but Christ, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. So Christians are not to be pitied. No, rather we are a people to most be envied. Instead of pity, Christians should be envied. People should look at us and desire what we have. Why? Because the Christians, because as Christians, we experience the fruit of the resurrection. We experience salvation and resurrection itself because Christ has been raised from the dead. Notice verse 21. This verse tells us that death came into earth by one man, our first parent, Adam. And through Adam, we now share in death. It's Genesis 3, right? This is what we've been going through as a church. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, and we sinned in Adam. We have people, we are people who by nature and by personal decision have shaken our fist in the face of God. Now in Adam, we die. But now a new and a better man has come. And through that man comes life for us who are dead. This is what Jesus' resurrection does. It brings life. It brings life. Because Jesus lives, we will too. But the point that we're wanting to see here is that this resurrection reality, this is actually a present reality for us. It has present consequences for us. What do I mean by that? What does the resurrection do? What does the resurrection do? Or maybe another question to ask is, how does the resurrection relate to the cross? Sometimes that can be tricky. If the battle was won at the cross, then what's the purpose of the resurrection? The resurrection is God validating everything that Jesus did and accomplished upon the cross. The resurrection is God taking his seal of approval and placing it on Jesus' work of redemption. As one scholar said, 
uh, in the resurrection, God says amen to Jesus' cry of it is finished upon the cross. In the resurrection, God says, yes, it is finished. It is done. My redeeming work is done. God's work on the cross truly has won for us salvation. Uh, if you were here on Friday night, Kenny spoke of the, the cross as being Christ's crane kick to the face of Satan's sin and death. The resurrection is God coming along and saying, yes, that was a legal move. Yes, Christ actually did win. He, he raises his hand in victory and he puts the official W in the win column for Christ. It's over. It's done. All of this means, all of this means the resurrection promises us the thing, uh, that the things purchased for us at the cross are present realities for us today. At the cross, Christ won for us salvation redemption from the pit, reconciliation to a God that we have been estranged from. We are people now because of the cross who by grace through faith can approach God, not as an enemy, not as a rebel, but as father. That, is, that was one for us at the cross and it was validated in the resurrection. That is true for us today because of Christ's redeeming work in the cross and the resurrection. Or in other words, as Paul tells us in the book, of Res, uh, the book of Romans, the resurrection says that we have been moved from death to life. We were buried with Christ in his death. And we have been raised to walk in newness of life. Because of the resurrection, we go from being dead people, spiritually dead, to being alive, raised with Christ. If in fact we are in Christ, we have experienced a spiritual resurrection here today, right now. That's ours in Christ. One of my favorite hymns is uh, And Can It Be by Charles Wesley. Amen, Kent. We, uh, we actually had that played at our wedding. Uh, we had Jeff and Jesse uh, play that at our wedding several years back because we so love what this hymn calls us to and we love that, that it ultimately results in praise and thanksgiving to God. But I think this hymn wonderfully, uh, I think this wonderfully tells us of the present reality of the resurrection in the Christian's life. Listen to this conversion experience contained in this song. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I love how this hymn gets my heart. And it, and it, and it helps my heart to get the resurrection. You see, before we knew the Lord, before we were in Christ, it was as if we were in a dungeon a cold, dark, and terrible dungeon, a place of torment, a place of terror, a place where we were shackled, a place where we were chained, a place of spiritual death. But Christ, Christ has been raised. 
And as a result of the resurrection, we will rise too. And so darkness and cold no longer define us, but these have been given, given into by light. Our hearts are flamed with light. Not only that, we are freed from our present bondage. The chains fall off. We are raised to life to go and follow hard after Jesus. We've been raised from the dead to life in Christ. That's a spiritual present reality for us if in fact we are in Jesus. But, but the thing is, even though Christ is risen from the dead. And even though we are no longer dead in our sins, even though we are raised to walk in newness of life, many of us, many of us still walk around as if we are chained, as if we are shackled, as if we are spiritually dead. Many of us live pitiable lives. Is that you? In, in some regard, I'm sure that it is. Are you a person who's chained and shackled by past sins? Are you chained and shackled by reoccurring sins that you refuse to repent of? Are you chained and shackled by fear of man? Do you refuse to believe the promises of God are true for you today? Are you unwilling to lean into Christ and his finished work upon the cross, sealed for us in the resurrection? We are people who live as if dead and we need to wake up. Wake up. If we go to verse 34, we have a built-in point of application for us. Verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. I love that Paul goes here. We don't talk like this, do we? We don't talk like this to one another, do we? We don't have permission for this. Please know that you have permission to speak to me this way. If I am walking around as if dead, please come and tell me to wake up from my drunken stupor. You have that right in my life. Please know that. Verse 34, it helps us to understand the present reality of the resurrection. If Christ really did rise from the dead, then this truth is to change everything about how we live in and interact with this world today. It changes everything. There's an ethical implication for the resurrection today. What does this look like? I think waking up from our stupor looks like engaging in those very things that were rendered meaningful by the resurrection. Just remember back to where we were a few moments ago. If Christ didn't rise, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain and we are still in our sins. But Christ did rise. And so these things are meaningful. Therefore, the opposite of these things is true. Our preaching is not in vain. And so because of the resurrection, we are those who then herald the good news that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again that we might live too. And by this proclamation, God is taking his words and he is, he is uh, creating faith in hearts. He is, he is saving a lost and dying world through our proclamation. We engage in that. Our faith is not in vain. Our faith is not in vain. 
No, we are people who believe wholly in Jesus' name. We believe in him who brought us from death to life. We cling to his promises. We recognize that we are those who have the resurrection, the power of the resurrection coursing through our veins today. We are no longer in our sins. We're no longer in our sin. We no longer sit under the penalty of our sin. The resurrection says that we have peace with God. Peace with God. And so we rest in the finished work of Christ. We rest because God's redeeming work is done. It's done. The price is paid. The battle is won. This is a present reality for the Christian. We can keep going. All of this coalesces into the simple fact that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is to control our lives. The resurrection enables us to live to the glory of God, the one who has redeemed us from the pit and raised us to life. The resurrection enables us to be those who wake up from our deep sleep. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us that the resurrection is powerfully present for the believer. And therefore everything has changed. Our lives are radically different because Christ conquered, triumphed over the grave. And this should result in faithfulness. It should result in, in obedience. It should result in, in lavish worship. But 1 Corinthians doesn't stop there. It keeps going and it communicates incredible, profound hope for it speaks of a future bodily resurrection. So our second point. The resurrection is gloriously future. The resurrection is gloriously future. You see this in verse 50 through 57. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These verses are some of the most incredible verses in the entire Bible. They show us the glorious future consequences of us being raised with Christ. As they do this, they communicate for us a perfect and profound hope. The passage begins soberly. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. That's bad news. That's bad news because we are flesh and blood. We are perishable. We will die unless Christ comes and returns for us. We might be raised spiritually, but we will die physically. So what happens then? What happens when we die? A mystery. 
There is coming a day where everything will change. There is coming a day when we will experience our future bodily resurrection. There is coming a day where we will experience the fullness of our salvation. There is coming a day where we will experience the perfect fulfillment of Jesus crushing the head of the serpent at the cross. There is coming a day where we will experience fully and finally God's redeeming work being done. This will be a day where the effects of sin, death, suffering, hopelessness, tears, warring, rejection, these things will be done away with, over. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Done. And so we will be able to say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? If we were to back up verses 42 through 49, they help us to contrast what we are to what we will be. Now we are perishable. Now we exist in dishonor. Now we exist in weakness. We're natural, we're mortal. We are in Adam and we bear the image of the man of dust. But we will be imperishable. We will be raised in glory. We will be raised in power. We will be raised spiritual. We will be of the last Adam, Christ. And we will bear the image of the man of heaven. We will receive the prize of the resurrection, Christ himself. Notice verse 52. Paul wants to impress upon us the absolute certainty of our future resurrection. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised and we shall be changed. This will happen. It is certain. I've experienced suffering in my life. Certainly, uh, no doubt, nowhere near the suffering that many of you have experienced or maybe even are currently experiencing. Nevertheless, suffering. It was a period of my life over about a, of the course of about a year and a half where uh, three people who were very dear to me died. One as the result of a murder, uh, gang initiation. The second uh, due to an overdose of drugs. And the third, my grandmother, uh, who I grew up with and loved dearly due to natural causes. These three deaths were all tragic and terrible in their own way. The first was due to the selfish sin of others imposing their desires over another person. The second was due to sin so gripping someone and the consequences of sin so gripping someone and them being unable to escape until they finally succumbed. And finally, with my grandmother, due to the natural decay of human bodies. These deaths have a few things in common. One, they were uniquely terrible and tragic for me and for many others. But two, at the core, at the heart of these deaths was sin. Sin was the issue. Sin exists in this world and therefore we have things like sin and death and suffering. To experience these deaths were terrible but the reality is, is that we will experience things like this for we live in a fallen and sinful world. 
We will experience uh, sin's destructive work. We will experience death. We will experience hardship. Sin is running amok in this world. All you have to do is turn on your TVs to see the devastating consequences of sin. Just this weekend, countless churches have been bombed. People have died because they have sought to go and worship their Lord. We are on the brink of war because of sin. Cancer will happen. Death will happen. War will happen. People we trust will betray us. We will be cheated. We will be kicked. And we can know all of this is traced back to the sin of our first parents in the garden and sin that we have been carrying out ever since. But, but, the resurrection wonderfully teaches us that sin and the devil do not have the final word. Death does not have the final say. For Christ came and lived and died and rose again to life. And therefore one day all of these things will be destroyed and done away with and we will rise in Christ. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, therefore, therefore, because Christ is risen, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Paul closes out this wonderful chapter with the charge in light of the incredible present and future resurrection. In light of what's presently ours and will one day be ours in Christ, be steadfast, be immovable, and abound in the work of the Lord. In other words, stand strong upon the rock of Christ. Allow the gospel to inform every aspect of your life. Allow the gospel to orient your life. Be controlled by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Not only that, but remember, your labor is not in vain. Please know that today. Your labor is not in vain. Every prayer prayed has not been in vain. Every time you've opened your Bible in the morning, that has not been in vain. Every time you have sought to humbly serve someone self-sacrificially, it has not been in vain. Every opportunity you have taken to preach the gospel, even though it might have been embarrassing, has not been in vain. Every time you have sought to believe the promises of God, even when the world told you it was foolish, it has not been in vain. In these things, Christ has been exalted and lifted high. And through these things, God has proclaimed his mighty and strong gospel to a lost and dying world who's in desperate need of salvation through and in Christ. Your work hasn't been in vain. First, First Corinthians 15 gives us a paradigm to understand sin, suffering, and death. And rather than despair at the reality of these things, we have a sure and eternal hope. Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. To close, I want to simply make a plea to you. Spiritual resurrection is a present reality for us who are in Christ. It's gonna happen. Or it already, ha- it already has happened. We have been moved from death to life. But please know this. A spiritual resurrection from the dead is only for those who are in Christ. Only for those who have believed in Jesus by grace through faith. The future bodily resurrection is different. All of us will rise. Whether we're in Christ or not, whether we're Christians or not, we will rise. The difference though is that if you've believed in Jesus, 
you will rise bodily to glory in glory. It'll be an amazing thing. But if you haven't believed in Jesus, you will be raised too, but you will be raised to judgment. This is the clear teaching of scripture. Salvation comes by one man, Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith in that one man. Today is a day to reckon with your sin, to hear the gospel and to believe in Jesus. If you want to know more about that, please come talk to me after this service. Come talk to anybody who's wearing a green lanyard. We want to talk to you about the gospel and belief in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather here today because of Jesus, because Christ died and because he rose again to life. And because of that, Lord, we rise too. Praise you, Lord. We thank you for the son. We thank you that we can stand here now celebrating him, our, our risen Lord. May he be exalted. And may we be forever changed for his work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.